Chapter 27, Stormbreak. The colonel placed a pistol by the front door next to Mr. Macon's chainsaw. My pistol won't help you, Mr. Macon sneered. Ain't got no bullets. Slade doesn't know that, the colonel replied, checking the gas in the saw. Dale settled onto the sofa with a new bag of chips. Deputy Marla conned us top to bottom, he said, eyeing his father. Looks like she will be working with Slate all along. Maybe we should change our name to Dimwit Detectives, he added, dropping a chip into Liz's mouth. She conned me, I said. You figured her out, but why would Deputy Marlin team up with a loser like Slate? Only two possibilities, he said. Money or love. Or in her case, probably both, the colonel said, setting his pack by the door. Soldier, were you able to find the packet in my closet? I pointed toward the coffee table. I'm sorry, sir, but a few clippings got away, I said. It's hard to flatten tires and do paperwork at the same time. Truer words were never spoken, my dear, he said. He picked up the packet and disappeared into the kitchen. I found him at the kitchen table a short time later. His candle flickered low, and he rested his forehead in his hands. He looked up, candlelight playing across the lines of his face. Soldier, he said, straightening the clippings. I slipped into the chair beside him and waited. I will be honest with you, my dear. When Lana told me about these papers, I hoped she was just being dramatic. But after looking at them, I realized I was somehow involved in Slate's robbery, he said, his voice thick with grief. I can't imagine I'd have these notes if I weren't. Apparently, Slate had at least one accomplice. I hope I'm not that man, but we have to prepare ourselves. I could be. I nodded. You could run, sir, I told him. His smile flashed even and white in the candlelight. Running isn't in my nature anymore than it is in yours. I'll accept responsibility for my past, whatever it is, he said, sliding the clippings into the packet. We can't change the past, soldier. We can only be grateful for the life of a new day and move on. Yes, sir, I said, leaning against him. I'm proud of you, Colonel. He smiled, and I'm proud of you. You've kept your head and your heart throughout all of this. You've shown uncommon courage. We'll just need a little more courage to see this thing through. As the storm wore on, Dale and Liz napped. Mr. Macon sulked and Miss Rose prayed. The colonel paced like a leopard. I picked up volume six and a pen. Dear upstream mother, I wrote. I crossed out the words. Dear Miss Lana, hold on. We'll find you. Mo. As the hurricane roared, the colonel patrolled. Once he stopped by a window, he winced and leaned forward, his forehead gently bumping the glass. Colonel? I said, rushing to him. Are you okay? He put his wiry arm around me. I am, but this feels so familiar. The storm, the danger, rain lashed the window. He looked across the room to Miss Rose, who'd settled on the settee with her eyes closed. She's praying, I whispered. He waited until she opened her eyes. Rose, he said, I think the storm's breaking. Of course, she said, taking the Pinto's keys from her pocket. I'll take the back road to Jesse's rather than going through the town. I have less chance of downed trees in a forest than out in the open where the trees stand exposed. I'll have to cross just one small cleared field where the winds will be strongest. I'll come in by the crash pine and drive that lane along the river. He looked at Mr. Macon. If Macon gives you any trouble, feel free to shoot him, he added, a smile in his eyes. Thank you, Colonel, she said. That's very generous of you. I'm going with you, sir, I said. Thank you, soldier, but no. 
You stay with Miss Rose. That's an order. I shook my head. I lost my first mother in a hurricane. I ain't losing Miss Rose in this one. I'm going, Colonel. Dale sat up on the settee. There's no point arguing when she gets like this, he, he said. He sighed and scanned the cords binding Mr. Mickens' hands and feet. You're safe, Mama, he said, his voice soft. And Mo and me are partners. I'm going too. I won't say it was my finest hour, but it was stacking up pretty good. I stood at attention, more or less, until the colonel nodded. Rose, he said, his eyes questioning. She hesitated. Colonel, you have to promise. With my life, he said. You're taking those kids with you? You're all crazy. Mr. Macon snarled as Dale trotted to his room for rain slickers. That boy's a coward. He ain't going to be nothing but in the way. The colonel shook his head. A coward? Dale's already twice the man you'll ever be he said, slipping the pistol in his pack. Here, Mo, Dale said, tossing me a rain jacket. The colonel grabbed the pack and chainsaw, opened the door, and pushed his way out onto the porch. As we watched from the window, he staggered down the steps, the hurricane shoving him like a schoolyard bully. He pried open the Pinto's front door, swung the chainsaw in, and then folded himself into the car like a contortionist. Miss Rose fussed with our rain jackets until the Pinto's headlights flared. I'll hold the door, she said. You hold on to each other and go to the passenger side. The colonel will help you. She tried to kiss Dale, but he ducked. Aw, mama, he said, shrugging away. Don't you aw, mama me, she said. She opened the door and held on as we scampered into a wall of wind. It clutched at us, slid us across the porch like skaters. Hold on! She shouted. Dale grabbed my arm and we shoved our way down the steps. The wind pushing, tripping, grabbing. Well done, the colonel said as the wind slammed the door behind us. Dale dove into the back seat and we took off at a snail's pace. The colonel hunched over the wheel as he crept down the drive and onto the road. Hurricane Amy pounded our little car with both fists. It's like riding in a drum, I shouted, wiping the fog off the windshield. Help me watch for fallen trees, he bellowed. Dale and I leaned forward. We were lucky to see ten feet ahead. Twice we stopped to chainsaw trees out of our path. Are you okay, sir? I asked as we drove around the second tree. He nodded, but he clenched his jaw and his fingers went white. He gripped the wheel so hard. When we reached the small open field near the crash pine, he stopped. Double check seatbelts, he said, and edged out of the woods. The wind grabbed our little car nose and turned us. Hang on, he shouted as the wind pushed us sideways down the road, skidding, skidding, skidding. Our fender grazed the crash pine and Colonel gasped. Slowly, we slid toward the bridge. Unfasten seatbelts, he yelled. Prepare for emergency exit. I fumbled with my belt as he floored the gas. I couldn't hear our engine through the storm's howl, but I felt our wheels spin and finally catch in the, white gra in the wet gravel. We fishtailed past the bridge, the beams of our headlights dancing jagged through the trees as we bounced onto the lane leading to Mr. Jesse's. The trees blocked the wind again, and I could hear Dale singing himself calm in the back seat. We inched on to Mr. Jesse's drive. We'll leave the car here, the colonel said. He held his door as we struggled out after him. No flashlights, he said. Stay behind me. No noise. Be careful. 
We bent low, crawling over fallen trees and slipping through wet grass to Mr. Jesse's porch. The colonel rolled onto the porch, silent as fog, and we followed. There's Slate, I whispered, peeping over the windowsill. Where's Miss Lana? You two stay here, the colonel told us. I'll find her. He disappeared into the rain. Slate had balanced his flashlight on Mr. Jesse's lazy boy, propping it in place with two pillows. His pistol lay by the flashlight, blunt-nosed and mean. Dale and I watched, barely breathing, as Slate peeled back Mr. Jesse's rug and picked up a pry bar. His bald head glistened and sweat ran crooked down the side of his face. He worried the pry bar he worried the pry bar under a floorboard and stepped on the high end of the bar. The board broke loose with a dusty scream. What's he after? Dale asked. A half a million bucks, I whispered. As I watched Slate work, my mind raced. What did I know about this house? Old, wood, sitting two feet off the ground on brick pillars? Or was it? Is Mr. Jesse's house underprinned? I whispered. Yeah. Dale said, as Slate pried the third board free. Solid brick, why? Slate pried board after board free. When he had a gap large enough, he grabbed his flashlight and leaned in, and leaned into the space, peering into the darkness beneath, beneath the house. Attack, I whispered, but the colonel said, field command, attack. We snuck through the door and across the room. Slate knelt before us, grunting like a pig, as he shone the light beneath the floorboards. I pointed to Mr. Jesse's massive oak coffee table. Dale crept toward it. Go! I shouted, placing a perfect flying front kick on Slate's backside. Slate bellowed as he drove head first beneath the house. The table! We dragged it over the hole in the floor, jumped on, and held on for dear life. The table with its stubby legs was left just enough space for us to see the glow of Slate's light. Now what? Dale gasped as the table bucked. We wait for the colonel, I said. You hear that, Slate? We got reinforcements coming. Slate kicked, roared, and kicked again. Let me out of here, he demanded, panting. I could hear him struggle to his back under the house. His flashlight beam darted around the table edges as he explored his new prison. His voice was cold and sly. How about I give you kids a hundred bucks a piece to go away? Make it two hundred. You can buy anything you want. Hey, Mo, you could hire a real detective to find out who your mother is. How about it? Dale leaned toward me. How does he know? Deputy Marla, I reminded him. Don't care about your true folks? No skin off my back. Dale, what are you going to do with your money? I'll throw you in a couple of tickets to Daytona. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Forget it, Slate, he said. What do you think? I'm stupid? I think you're, I think you're your father's son, he said, his light darting frantically around his prison. Let me out of here, Slate roared, pushing up on the table. The table rose into the air and tilted, toppling us to the floor. You think you're taking me down? He shouted, his hand closing around my ankle and dragging me toward him. Let her go, Slate, the colonel shouted, jerking me out of the way. He shoved Mr. Macon's empty pistol into Slate's face. Tell me where Lana is now. How should I know, he snarled. I don't know where she is, and I don't care. The overhead lights flickered on. Wow, Dale said, blinking like an owl. Even dead guys get their lights turned back on before we do. I peered at the bloody bandage on Slate's hand and the cut on his hand. Looks like you had an accident, I said. That lunatic mother of yours hit me with a lamp, he sputtered. She nearly killed me.
I grinned. I guess that explains all the blood at the Blalock place. Too bad you didn't bleed to death. Dale nodded. You might want to ask the prison doctor for some stitches for that hand, Mr. Slate. That one's, that's one good thing about hard time. Free medical. Slate, put your hands behind your head, the colonel commanded. Mo, got it, colonel. I said, yanking an extension cord out of the wall. He tied Slate's hand and handed me the empty pistol. Keep this pointed at him. Do you think it's safe, sir? I asked. I've been going through an awkward stage. I hope my finger doesn't slip, I said as the colonel dragged Slate into the room. Dale, the colonel said, tie his feet, son. Yes, sir. I have Boy Scout skills. Dale kills me. He went to Boy Scouts twice before Mr. Macon refused to buy him a uniform and he had to drop out. Dale has Boy Scout skills like I got a Harley. Now, the colonel said, taking the gun, I'll ask again. Where's Lana? She got away from me and ran, Slate said, ducking away from the pistol. I don't know where she is. I do, a voice at the door said. Star, I gasped. Star stood in the doorway, his pistol drawn. Friend or enemy? The colonel turned and pointed his empty pistol at Star. She's right here, Star said, stepping aside. Miss Lana ran toward me, her arms open. Thank God, the colonel murmured as her arms wrapped around me. Thank God.